Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It's so wonderful to have you joining us today as we discuss another topic within Christian growth, and that is our character and how it matters. How godly of a character can we have? And how godly of a character do we desire to have? Prayerfully, by now you've discovered that what we want to be like is we want to be as much like Jesus Christ as possible. But when we're talking about godly character and being Christ-like, what does that exactly entail? That's what we're going to be discussing today. When it comes to character or godly character, what are some attributes that you think of of a person who has godly character? Honest. Shows love to everyone. True to who they are. Another one would be being in continual prayer and communion with God, praying without ceasing and continuing to follow after his will. So the word character is an English word that has come from a Latin root, which means to engrave. And so when you're engraving, according to Mark Rutland in his book, Character That Matters, Nine Essential Traits That You Need to Succeed, Life is like a block of granite carved upon with care or hacked at with reckless disregard will at the end be either a masterpiece or marred rubble. Character is the composite of virtues and values that are etched in that living stone which will define its true worth. No cosmetic enhancement, no decorative drapery can make useless stone into enduring art. Only character can do that. What does marred rubble mean? Like just torn up rubble, like what you would see after a bomb explodes a mountain. Yeah, because marred means broken up into pieces. So this is what we're going to be looking at. Character is developed when we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us in the following characteristics. Courage, loyalty, diligence, modesty, frugality, honesty, meekness, reverence, gratitude, Xavier's already said, and in love, to be a person of character is to personify these traits and radiate God's beauty and character to the world. So let's go through these individual pieces of what we just talked about. When I say to be a person of godly character means that you have courage, what in the world does that mean? How am I a godly person if I have courage? I believe being courageous is not the absence of being afraid as it has been portrayed, but the ability to be courageous is knowing what it is you're up against, knowing that you're afraid of it, but then pushing forwards past that and continuing to move on. Okay. Acknowledging that this part, this is scary, or what God wants me to do is, is scary, and I'm afraid, but in Him, He gives me the ability to do this, and I'm going to do it. And that's what true courage is. Okay, so as you're speaking to God in prayer and he's speaking back to you, he wants you to go do something, but you're afraid. And then to be courageous is to follow through anyways, right? Yeah. To rely on him. Okay. Loyalty. 
when a person is loyal, what do we think about? Loyalty is something that kind of is missing in this 21st century in so many different areas. But what do we think about? Be a person of loyalty. What do we think about? Well, when we're told to do something, people are thinking that you would be loyal enough to keep that. So like if someone tells you a secret and Mm -hmm. they're like, don't tell anyone else. Mm -hmm. And if you do, that's you not being loyal to them. Yeah, great example. Because it's not your secret to tell. That's very true. Which leads into sinful gossip. Leads into so many other things. Yeah, very good. What about in diligence? A godly person is a diligent person. What in the world? How can we be diligent in the 21st century and hold this godly character? Work heartily as to the Lord and not unto man. Mm -hmm. What does that look like in your daily life? I mean, do we, we complete our tasks, right? Mm-hmm. If we say we're going to do it, we actually do it. In modesty, godly character is being modest. What does that mean? How are we modest today? Not being overly elaborate in everything. Modesty, it doesn't only apply to clothing or how you look or anything like that. It also applies to how you act in society and other stuff like that as well as... Christ calls us not to act out as the Pharisees and other people praying in the temples out loud and trying to get attention and all that other stuff, but to be modest, to be there and for people to know we're there, but at the same time, not knowing what our left hand is doing from our right hand. Like we are just following God's will and passing through. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we're helping others see Christ. So is minimalism a type of modesty? No. No, not always, but it can be. Minimalist can be taken to an extreme. But at the same time, it can be modesty of living within your means. Right. Or it it can link in with Buddhism. Yeah. It depends on the heart of the person, or their intentions behind it. Exactly. We've seen lots of discussions within the last... 10 years or so about the importance of Christian minimalism or being a Christian and being a minimalist. And the way it's been described or being portrayed is I'm being modest if I'm a minimalist or I'm being frugal, which is the next word that we're going to talk about, frugal if I'm a minimalist. But yet that doesn't really reflect godly character, does it? Not always. You can be a minimalist and reflect godly character and modesty, but it just depends on your relationship with Christ personally. Depends on what your priorities are in life. What do you want to do and where you want to go and how you want to spend your money? And are you doing this because someone told you to do it or are you doing it out of your own desire to live within less of what you want? So let me take it a little bit deeper, specifically in this modesty and frugality area. What is the number one thing that people, when they're praying or when they come into Christ, what is the number one thing that they're expecting out of their relationship with God in the 21st century? Prosperity. Yeah, prosperity. So how does prosperity intertwine with modesty and frugality? Or does it? God never said we were going to be fully the prosperity that man is looking for when they do come to Christ is prosperity amongst other men. And Christ never promised that. The Bible never promises that anyways of you'll be popular amongst every man and everything like that. So the intentions of looking for it 
is wrong and therefore it's not the correct attitude in that situation. So if I'm coming to Christ because I think he's going to pay all of my bills for me, I'm going to be able to drive that Mercedes Benz that I always wanted to drive or that sports luxury sports car I always wanted to have. And I'm going to live in a big, huge, fancy house. And if God doesn't accomplish all of those things in my life, then I'm going to deny his existence. Is that a person that has godly character within the areas of modesty and frugality? No. No, it's not. And we've got to call those things out as they are because the reality is, is we have become so confused in the 21st century, 20th century too, where we think that everything within Christ is about prosperity, as Blair brought up, that we totally forget about godly character especially when it comes to modesty and frugality. The next thing is something that Blair already mentioned, and that was honesty. A, godly, a person of godly character is a person of honesty. What does that mean to you, Mallory? What does it mean when somebody's honest? This has always been something that you've really held dear and held on to. That's why I'm picking on you. Well, I feel like... Um... Whenever someone's honest, it's amazing, and then you feel like you can trust them. And uh, sometimes you can if they're really that good of a person, but if they're really not that good of a person, and they are only honest to you like half of the time, and you know it, and you're just like, that's just not what I want in my life. Mm -hmm. Not somebody I want to surround myself with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Next one, meekness. A person who is of godly character is meek. What is meekness? William Shakespeare said, God blesses thee and God bless thee and put meekness in thy mind, love, charity, obedience, and true duty. What is he re referencing when he's talking about godly? I mean, this is William Shakespeare here. What are we talking about whenever he says that we have meekness of mind? Meekness is within godly character is walking through life knowing that I am a child of God but yet not looking down on people who don't believe in Jesus because they don't believe the same way I do and therefore dismissing them hating them and throwing them casting them aside as if they're horrible awful rotten people and heathens that I don't ever want to allow in my life mm -hmm. so a person of godly character is allowed to mix throughout society with every person yeah. that they come in contact with. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, what does William Shakespeare mean by meekness? Mm -hmm. What he's meaning is don't let your education or your uh, level of highness in society and who you are or who your family is be so important that you won't, you don't listen to other people or understand them or work under other people and so in that he's saying be meekness in everything you be meek in everything you do because in doing that you'll able you'll be able to get along with other people and live better instead of being so entitled that you can't get along with anybody and then sure. nobody likes you or anything like that just a few more last two actually is reverence a person with godly character is a reverent person. Just someone who reveres. But to hold and esteem other people and revere God. Last one is gratitude. 
How do you exhibit gratitude in your life? Being grateful for the things that we're able to see and do and accomplish. Saying thank you sometimes, right? Just being like, wow, I'm so thankful. The world looks at this in a way. I've got a quote here from Francois de la Rochefoucauld. He says, gratitude is merely the secret hope of further favors. And that's the way the world looks at it. it if I'm thankful, if I show gratitude to somebody, if I give them a tip, which stands for to ensure promptness, tip to ensure promptness. I give a tip because I want my food faster. I want better service. So my gratitude is something that I'm giving in advance so that that way the person will give me a favor later. Is that godly character or is that the world's way of looking at gratitude? It's the world's way of looking at gratitude. Yeah, it's definitely the world's way of looking at it. But the way we show gratitude is to be even thankful in those moments when everything is going awry, everything is going badly, poorly. When the world seems like it's crumbling down, we still are thankful. And we still are loving. All right, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. That's great. Xavier's got that. Beware of false prophets, whose come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So we discover from Christ that we are judged by people and by him, by Christ, and that people, we, are judged according to the fruit that we bear, those characteristic fruit that we bear. An apple tree does not grow oranges. An apple tree is recognized as an apple tree because it bears what fruit? Pineapples. Ah. Watermelons. An apple tree is recognized as an apple tree because it bears? <laughs> apples. Apples. Likewise, you and I are seen for who we are and what we are by the fruit that we produce in our lives. There will be times in your life where you will not exhibit the characteristics that we've listed above or the fruits of the Spirit or the attributes of Christ. And you may have a voice in your head, which is the Holy Spirit, convicting you of the wrong that you are doing. A spiritual elder, a spouse, or sometimes even an unbeliever may confront you about the sin in your life. And when you discover that character flaw, if you will simply come to God in repentance... Confess what you've done wrong. He will cleanse you from all sin, unright living, and shame that you have in your life. He will forgive you. And this actually, it will increase your good and godly character. We have a few questions today. First one is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 25. While we're reading this passage of scripture, let's think about these things. What are the influences that contend for control of your life? What are the works of the flesh or sinful nature? What are the fruits of the spirit? And as a follower of Christ, what have you crucified? 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So what influences are contending for control of our life? Or what influence, sorry, what influence is contending for control of our life? What we allow ourselves to dig into, whether mm -hmm. we want more of the world or if we want to be more involved in nature, so to say. Mm. Or are we actively pursuing a right relationship with Christ? Mm -hmm. It depends on our desires. Are we wanting earthly desires or are we desiring healthy desires? Heavenly, yeah. heavenly desires. Yeah, I mean, these are the contending influences that C.S. Lewis says that the Christian has the greatest war that has ever been known going on within their own person because our flesh wants one thing, the spirit wants something else, and so we have that constant warring. Have you ever felt that tension inside of your life really, really strong that you're like, oh my goodness, I want this thing really, really badly, but yet I know that's not what God wants for my life. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the people that are around us every day, do you think that they're also kind of going through those same kinds of tensions? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do they have to be a Christian in order to go through that type of tension? No. No, no definitely not. Blair read off a long list of the works of the flesh. And uh, maybe one of those stood out to you, or maybe two of them, or maybe several of them stood out to you as something that embraces or grasps you on a regular basis, the, uh, the acts of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, which means that that list can be uh, etcetraized, dot, 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 more things can be included in it. And those are the desires of the flesh, the sinful nature, if you are dealing with these areas in your life today, as you're listening to the podcast, as we're talking through these things, 
if you will simply, as I've already stated, confess them to the Lord, if you will say, Lord Jesus, I know this is a part of my life. I need to give it over to you and turn it over to him. He's faithful and just to forgive you of that unrighteous thing, that fleshly desire, and to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Which brings me to my question. If I do that once, if I have this fleshly desire in my heart and I turn it over to Jesus, does that mean that I never deal with that fleshly desire ever again in my life? No. No. It's a continuous struggle. Yeah, it's a continuous struggle that continues to tear us to pieces sometimes. And so it's one that we have to constantly stay on our toes, ready to do battle against. Mm -hmm. Right. It does seem to become more easier over time. I mean, when you keep, okay, I'm struggling with this scenario and Lord, I give it to you and say that maybe it's a spout of rage and you get in the car and somebody cuts you off and the first thing you want to do is flip them off or speed up as fast as you can to go and be beside them. And then you allowed that anger to get the best of you in that moment. And you ask for forgiveness again and maybe next time it won't be as horrendous as it was the first time. And then sometimes it can creep up and mm -hmm. come back out. And it's like, oh man, where in the world did that come? And so therefore it's like a self-check. It's a, you know, what am I allowing in my life that is keeping me from a right relationship with Christ? Absolutely. So it is a constant battle. But I mean, that's the embattlement of living in a simple world. Yeah. But that doesn't mean lose hope and give up and, oh, well, this Christian's doing this and that Christian's doing that. So therefore I can get by with this. And how close can I, I walk the, the fine line, so to say, mm -hmm. without, you know, um, like if I do this and, I, and you know it's wrong, but yet you see somebody else doing it and they're okay and their life seems fine. That doesn't mean that what they're doing is right for you. I mean, we're all created differently. We all look different. We all have different things that go wrong within ourselves and our lives. Yeah. We're not all cookie cutter people. Yeah. Well, like the whole conversation that people like to have about, you know, the gateway sin, if you will. Like, for instance, I'll give an example. If you're around people who smoke all the time, that's the gateway for you to start smoking cigarettes. And if you start smoking cigarettes, that's the gateway to using marijuana. And if you use marijuana, that's the gateway into using other illicit drugs. And, it, and so we look at these gateways, if you will, as constant reminders of things that influence people. However, is it possible for somebody to go all their life being around people who smoke and never smoke? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Is it possible for a person to be around people who don't smoke at all, but yet enjoy a cigar or a pipe or a cigarette every once in a while, and it never lead them into the gateway, if you will, of smoking marijuana and other illicit drugs? Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely possible. As Blair's bringing up, it is up to the individual person of what they're battling. And since the reason I brought up smoking, 
since that's not brought up in the Bible as something that is sinful, leading us into a life of illicit drugs, which leads us into a life of these fleshful, sinful nature, debauchery, dissensions, factions, sexual sins that are so illicitly connected with illicit drug use. If I can smoke a cigar on occasion, not that I do, but just saying if I do smoke a cigar on occasion, that doesn't mean that I am on a gateway road to becoming a sexual predator one day. What it means is I enjoy a cigar every once in a while. And if I limit it to that area, I don't have lost hope. And I can't be judged. The fruit of the apple tree is an apple. I'm not judged as, oh my goodness, that guy is a horrible, horrible person who is sexually immoral because I saw him smoking a cigar. But yet as humanity, we so often do jump to those assumptions when we see the way a person dresses, the way the person talks, or the way that they do certain things in their life, don't we? All right, next question is, what are the nine fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. Faith and self-control. Yes. And as a follower of Christ, what is it that we're supposed to crucify? Our earthly desires. Definitely. Next passage of Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 11. And the reason I cut that off so fast is because that's the exact answer. We're supposed to crucify our earthly desires. There is no other answer. Paul also instructs us as believers in that and other scriptures to say, he says for us to die to ourselves. And that's what he means by that. Yeah. Is not completely kill ourselves or <laughs> die in a literal sense, but die to our earthly desires that we were born with. Definitely. All right. Scripture verse. 1 Timothy 6, 3-11 If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspensions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these will, be, will we be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. I have a, a question that's not listed here, but I just I think you have some great insight into this, Blair, of how is it that you, all of your life, have been able to... I've known you for half of my life now, but I have noticed that you are not a person who has to have these worldly things, these riches, these cravings of what is popular in the moment and that what is it that the Holy Spirit has done inside of your heart to drive you to not need those things? Like, what can you share with us that is just like, here's how come 
I don't need my husband to drive me around in a limousine every single day and lavish jewelry all over my body and I have to wear the most fanciest clothes with the fanciest shoes, with the fanciest purse, with the fanciest makeup and going and getting all kinds of stuff done to my body. How is it that you don't desire those things? I do desire those things. Those things are nice. Those things are very elaborate, but it also comes with a a status. It also comes with, if I desire those things all the time, then I'm just going to want more and want more and want more. And having a dress that costs over $2,000 is still going to spoil as much as a dress that costs $20. It's neat that people are able to spend an elaborate amount of money in order to make themselves feel well. I can't afford that. And not that I don't have the same means and resources as everyone else does here, you know, in the whole entire world. We all have the means and resources. It's what we want to put our mind to doing it. But there are costs that come with having that kind of a lavish lifestyle because you're just going to want more. You're going to want more attention. You're going to want more attention from men. You're going to want... Uh, fancier houses or fancier cars and growing up in a place that I've seen you know a million dollar homes and driving around and looking at the homes the people who own those homes are usually never inside of those houses and they don't have any furniture and if they are at home and you ring the doorbell and they do come out they're not happy people there are those that are But yet, there's a large majority that aren't. They're just not satisfied. They're not content. They're not Mm. content with who they are because they're always seeing seeing something that they desire. I mean, if it's a a breast augmentation, and with all of the plastic form of surgeries that can come into play, it can really cause a lot of damage to yourself uh, mentally, physically, and spiritually mm. and you would just wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't recognize who that person is anymore I don't want to be that kind of a woman that wakes up in the morning and looks at myself in the mirror and not recognize who that person is and I I personally just want to embrace each and every year each and every age that as I age and I don't do it perfectly and I have done things that are wrong and harmful that I know as a woman that you know I have to get back in track and I couldn't imagine if I had everything I wanted or desired I don't think it's what I would want I just don't think stuff makes me makes me happy so if I can do without and learn to do with what I have and to live within my means For me, that's okay. The things that stood out to me about what you said is uh, the person that gets everything they ever want, they are still more covetousness of even more. Uh, And yet one of the Ten Commandments is thou shall not covet. Another thing that you said is, is that the person's constantly in greed. All I want is more blessings. So therefore I need more and I just get more and more greedy. Contentment is a big issue for people who are always looking for more loss of identity, 
and then not having a satisfaction with who I am. And a thing that I've noticed over this last 20 years of my life is that people are always talking about finding themselves. I just want to find myself. And when you're trying to find yourself in things, when you're trying to find yourself in even another person or in a specific cause or in a house or in a, a, a job, you're not actually identifying yourself. You're not finding yourself because the only way one can find themselves is by seeking after Christ. Thank you for sharing that. Very insightful. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How long will it take you to take on the character of God? Isn't it until we see until we see him? Yes, that's what I was I mean, going to say. I mean, well, don't say it like a question. It is. It's <laughs> yeah, up you're until exactly the day right. we die. So in other words, we constantly have battle with the sinful part of ourselves, the fleshly part or the worldly part of ourselves, and we constantly desire to be more godly. And that rivalry, that warring that's going on within us, we can't, first of all, we can't see ourselves as being all alone. And secondly, we see ourselves as being very normal when we're struggling in these areas. And thirdly, the person who holds everything that we are knows exactly who we are, cares for everything that we are, is sending his spirit to guide us and walk alongside us in those moments where we feel like we're going to give in to the evil temptation and the Holy Spirit is there to rescue us out of that desire and to help us to continue to walk in the light of the Lord. The theological word for becoming one in image with God is called sanctification. To be sanctified means to be set apart or declared as holy. Theologically, I want us to consider that taking on the image of Christ as being a progressive thing. It doesn't happen in an instant. And on this earth, we do not see its conclusion. We only see sanctification taking its complete work in us and completing us on the day that we separate from this body that we're in today. However, we've got to recognize that sanctification is a daily process that is going on inside of us. As we renew our mind in the word of God, as we pray, as we read the Holy Scriptures, as we surround ourselves with fellow believers, sanctification is progressively happening. Last passage of scripture, last set of questions. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is 
faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Right. Why is confessing sin essential? To be clean. To be clean. I always think it's like washing of the body. <laughs> Just to be clean on the inners. I mean, we, I like to wash my body. I like to be clean. I like to smell good. I like to have clean hair. I like to have um, dirt exfoliated off of my body and feces and urine to be removed off of my body. And so if I like that on the outside, how good it is to ask Christ Jesus to forgive me of all my sins each and every day, each and every moment that I know, oh man, I totally have sinned. And I feel so much better. I feel so clean. And I feel like my heart has been completely washed or my whole inside demeanor has been been good. Now, I, I didn't want to distract you from what you were answering because that was so important. Such a good answer. You've been, you've been saved now for over 30 years of your life. I have. Do you still have to confess? Absolutely, I do. I do live in a world, and I do have, I mean, as I had already mentioned, I do have desires that, oh, man, like an envious at times of, I wish I had that, or, ah, or maybe it's a, I wish I was, or ah. I desire to be here at this age and I'm not and right. I have to repent of why am I even worried about that? Why am I even fretting about that? Or why do I even envy others when I can step back and reflect and look at my life going, Wow, what a life. Mm -hmm. Wow. What an inheritance God has given me. Just even to be alive and to have three kiddos hmm. and it's good and I and a healthy husband, a healthy marriage. That's what I desired. I mean, those are the desires. I mean, I didn't really have any other desires other than to I never thought I'd live to be married, let alone to see children being born. I mean, I've surpassed all the dreams I ever desired. And now I'm like in the point of now what? Dream new dreams. Right. Dreaming new dreams and adventures on new adventures. And it's exciting. To me, life is exciting. As a 16-year-old young man coming into manhood, you've been saved for over 10 years of your life. Mm -hmm. Do you still have to confess? Yeah, daily. And sometimes that's not even like people say, oh, that wasn't that big of a sin. But I, I feel that the importance of confessing your sins is recognizing what you did was wrong instead of letting other people dictate you of saying, oh, that wasn't wrong or that wasn't that bad. You don't have to you don't have to apologize for that or that's confess your sins for that. But whenever you're convicted of the spirit of saying of feeling like what you did was wrong, even though some may not see that as doing wrong. It's important to confess your sins and feel 
like what you to I mean in order to reassure you that God's on your side and he's there for you Sure, and that reassurance is mentioned there in verse 10, right? If yeah. we claim that we haven't sinned, as you're talking about people mm. justifying, oh, that's not a big deal, that's not a sin. What we do is we make Christ out to be a liar, and the word of Christ, the word is not in us, is what it says in John, First uh, uh, John 1.10. But the word here is not just God's word, like as in the Holy Scripture, as in the things I've memorized, but God's word here is referring or referencing who the word of God is, and that is Jesus Christ himself. If we yeah. say, I don't have any sin, well, then Jesus isn't in me. He's not a part of me, mm -hmm. and I am not a Christian. Yeah, and so I believe it's important to daily confess your sins to Christ, and sometimes multiple times a day. Sure. And continue to not do what you have seen as wrong and continue to follow after Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And your convictions in Christ are not everybody else's convictions in Christ. That's right. That's right. We can't allow others to dictate what our convictions are necessarily. We've got to allow it to be the Holy Spirit that does. However, there are times that that conviction will come as a result of, as I mentioned earlier, yes. somebody who we've never met before and they just give an observation to us as they've met us for the first time or mm -hmm. somebody that we've known for a while. We know they're not necessarily a Christian, but they give us an observation of this is what I see in your life. And we see, oh, I need to change that. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a cousin. There are people that can bring things out inside of us and help us better our godly character. Mallory, you've been saved now for... 10 years. You've been saved for a decade now. What about you? How often do you need to confess your sin? Um, every five minutes. <laughs> okay. Do you have anything else you want to add to that? Well, then no. Will I'm you saying, elaborate on that? No, I'm speech? saying that I do it every five minutes because, like, whenever I think things and stuff like that, I don't know what's good and I don't know what's bad. So every single five minutes and I say something and stuff like that, then I'm like, oh, is that bad? And then I say, if that was bad, I'm so sorry. And I didn't mean to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no doubt. You definitely do say you're sorry and you didn't mean to do it. We hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. Last question. Very, very, very important question. Very, very, very important to our godly character and for us to have an understanding of, and we've got to know this like we know it. We can forget everything else that this world has ever showed us. We could go blind right now and forget what the sunrise or a sunset has ever looked like to us. But if we know this, then we have the truth inside of us. And the question is, what is God's reaction to you when you confess your sin and you repent of it? Thank you. <laughs> He's glad. Happy. Happy. And what does he do for us? He puts goggles on our faces. No. <laughs> He forgives us, he and forgives he casts our sin as far as the east is from, is the, from west. the west. Is that in a straight line, yes. or is that in a circle that comes back to us again? Straight line. Straight line. But like Newton's laws of motion, where everything continues in a straight line without any disturbances. Like in a non-gravitational area, if one 
the object is hit, it will continue in a straight line in that motion unless it is disturbed. And so therefore, according to that scientific law, then God throwing, casting our sins as far as the east is from the west means he casts them away, and they just continue going in a straight line. They never come back around. And there's no disturbance. They just go straight. So please, whatever you do, to be a person of godly character, recognize this very important fact. If I repent of my sin and confess it to Jesus Christ, he will forgive you. Will you please close this in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day and that we will worship you every single day and ask for forgiveness every five minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have any questions or comments, please find us on Instagram. You can email us at the address that is mentioned wherever you're getting your podcast at, as well as we are on Twitter. We look forward to hearing from you. Five Alive out.